0: From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong.
1: And I'm just like, it's not selling.
0: It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. You have 300,000 newsletter subscribers?
1: 325,000 as of today roughly. I don't check every day.
0: No, I don't. Would you believe that someone with a very thriving, very profitable newsletter doesn't check their numbers every day? Oh, come on.
1: My sarcasm may have not have come through. I check it <laughs> often <laughs> for those
0: 325,000 and counting subscribers. He may not need any introduction.
1: Also, he has a lot of
0: podcast listeners, but for everyone else, this is Lenny I'm Lenny
1: Richitsky. I'm the author of Lenny's Newsletter and very creatively titled Lenny's Podcast and a couple other things.
0: And the reason I wanted to talk to Lenny is because, well, he's done a really good job of building that newsletter. And I, like probably you and so many other entrepreneurs, are very interested in newsletter growth. I personally have made it a big priority of mine this year. And when I started chatting with Lenny originally by email, he just seemed like such a wealth of knowledge about how to build a newsletter and not just get new subscribers, but also how to build the product in the first place, how to figure out what it is that you're writing and who you're writing to and how to create a thing that grows. And that perhaps is because Lenny knows a thing or two about creating products.
1: I was originally a software engineer, went to school for computer science, ended up starting a company, so I was a founder for a bit, then turned into a product manager, became product manager at Airbnb when we sold our company to Airbnb, and then left that about three years ago.
0: And then to his great surprise, he ended up building a great business out of a newsletter and a podcast. So how did he do it? How did he attract all of these subscribers and then monetize them? Well, like any great product guy, Lenny can talk about it in phases. And that is what we are doing on this episode. He is going to walk us through exactly what he did, not just to drive subscriptions, but really to develop the product, to think about what he was putting out and who it was for and why they should subscribe and pay. And I will tell you, This conversation really impacted me personally. Afterwards, I made a pretty big change to my own newsletter because of something that Lenny told me in this conversation you're about to hear. So we're going to get to everything, but first, a quick break. They say that finding a job is like a full-time job, but you know what? Hiring someone is also a full-time job. It can take so long unless you partner with Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, Assessments, and Virtual Interviews. I mean, let's talk about that instant match. Candidates you invite to apply through instant match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to US Indeed data. Indeed knows that hiring needs to be cost effective when you're running your own business. That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job requirements. So start using Indeed. Visit indeed.com slash problem solvers to start hiring now. Just go to indeed.com slash problem solvers. Indeed.com slash problem solvers. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we're back talking with Lenny of Lenny's newsletter about how he built such a great newsletter. And the story starts back in 2019. At the time, Lenny was just writing on Medium. He wasn't really thinking much about what he was building or doing. He was just kind of sharing insights. And he was frustrated that Medium wasn't really a good place to actually build an audience on. But then he found a
1: place that was. What started working is I was tweeting a little bit summaries of things I was writing on medium, so the Twitter audience started to grow, and that actually mm. helped a bit initially.: Huh, So was that your seed? Like what was the first way in which you brought
0: people into the newsletter?
1: So there's kind of these phases. Phase one was just like writing a few things that people seem to like, but really maybe my first thousand subscribers, they came from two guest posts. I wrote a guest post on the first round review, which happened to be a similar audience to my newsletter, and I wrote a guest post on Andrew Chen's blog. Who's uh, now a partner at Andrew Horowitz. He's a long time mm-hmm. kind of growth mind, and so I was working on some, I showed it to him, and he's like, "Hey, I want to write. I want to have this in my newsletter." And and those two brought me to around a thousand plus a bit of tweeting that, like, "Hey, I'm starting a newsletter. You should check this out." And I only had maybe like five thousand followers. It wasn't anything crazy, but that was the first phase.
0: So that's interesting because there is much talk of swaps of some kind of value in the podcast ecosystem and the newsletter ecosystem. And a thing that people grapple with a lot is, well, okay, how do I get on the radar of or do any kind of work with someone who is working at scale and I'm not? If I have a tiny newsletter, I can't really offer them anything. If I could plug their newsletter in my newsletter, but who's they're not going to care about that because I'm not reaching that many people. The solution that I'm hearing to that is that you were just providing value to them in the form of content, which saves them the time of having to write their own posts someday. And if they like it, they've distributed it and some number of their audience therefore is willing to follow you over. Is is that a strategy you find
1: scales? Not only scales, honestly, I think that's the root of all successful newsletters, podcast content is just the value. You just have to deliver value to people. Like the way I think about it is you grow if you're Consistently delivering value, consistency plus quality. And so in this case, yeah, these folks just like wanted great content that would be useful to their audience and they don't need to swap with you. They're just like, oh, this is great. You're doing all the work for me. I'm going to be able to share with my audience and they're going to subscribe to my newsletter. That's awesome. So 100%, it's all about just delivering value to people. We'll talk about this, but like I've tried a lot of growth strategies. To grow the newsletter in the podcast, nothing works really except just consistently delivering value over and over and over and over and over. Everything else just pales in comparison to just doing that. What else does that look like delivering value? And
0: I could ask that flatly, but instead I'm going to throw in a, a kind of maybe thought starter, which is in the podcast world, so many podcasts are interview shows, which means that there has to be a guest. And in a way, being a great guest is bringing value to someone. But it often doesn't feel like that's actually the direction of the exchange because the person is always interviewing somebody on the show. So that they selected you in some ways is really a, a gift to the person who is the guest. It's, it's, it's hard to frame yourself as I am going to bring value by being a great guest on your podcast, even if that's true. It feels different in newsletters because it is literally the production of a piece of writing that Either the newsletter writer would have had to write themselves, Mm -hmm. right? It's um, it's it's not like the just the the mode of production is different there. So I'm curious what in the newsletter space it looks like to provide value to others outside of writing a guest post for them, or is it just that? And you just did a lot of writing inside of other people's newsletters.
1: I think it's really simple. If you think about what's the jobs to be done for your content. Or whatever you're producing, I think there's like like I think about it from newsletters. What are the jobs that people want their newsletter to do for them? And I don't know how much folks know about those jobs to be done framework, but basically I think roughly people want either just to be entertained, just want to like have some fun to read. They want advice on making money. I think is a big bucket. I think people want advice just to do live better or work better more effectively. That's the bucket I'm in. I think that's the bucket you're in. And then maybe there's just like stay informed, like news newsletters and podcasts and things like that. Those are, I think, the four biggest buckets. So you need to figure out which of these four jobs are you going to do for your audience? And there's others. And then just do it super well. So for me, it's just, I want people to build, I want to help them build better products and grow their products and figure out how to do this. And so I spent all my time just answering really concrete questions people have. What is good retention for a SaaS product? How do you get your first thousand users? How do you hire your first product manager? What is a good activation milestone to track? I just like answer those questions very concretely. And so that's just clearly value to people. I'm just doing all this work for them and just giving them the answers. And, you know, I charge newsletters 150 bucks a year. Like if you have one of these questions answered a year, that's, you get like a thousand X return on that. And the podcast is similar. I help. I focus on just like concrete like similar to this podcast. Like I want to help grow my product. Let's interview. Let's chief product officer at Figma. What did they do and learn to help build Figma into the business it is today. I stay super focused on like, what do you actually do? How do you actually write out your specs? How do you prioritize? How do you hire? What do you look for in product managers and and things like that? You described the growth of the newsletter as happening in a couple of
0: phases. And then you talked about phase one, though, just to be clear, I think a couple of the things you just said there probably happened in later phases, like that you were charging $150 a year for it. That, <laughs> that probably didn't happen right out of the gate, right? Nope. And so let me just rewind backwards a little bit and talk about the hyper-specific focus of the newsletter. It is incredibly tactical, and it is for a very specific audience. How much do you think that that drove that kind of growth? Because a lot of people's newsletters are maybe a little squishier. I'll admit mine is a little squishier in that I'm trying to speak to a broader audience set of people who identify as entrepreneurs, some of whom actually are business owners, some of whom are not. And then I'm speaking to the emotional components of them navigating change. I've found that to be a hard thing to define. It's a little harder to explain who the audience is. And therefore, the content goes broader. And I've always wondered if that is a mark against me, because it's harder to explain exactly how this newsletter fits into a hyper-specific audience's world. Did you think about that when you were launching this and, and how hyper focus and a a narrow lens actually could lead to a greater growth.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important and really powerful to be focused. I think, I don't know if this is true, but I think it's true. The broader you are, the more incredible you have to be for anyone to care. If you're just writing interesting pontifications on the world, I think you have to be really, really incredibly insightful because there's so many people doing that. Not to say when you're super narrow, you can be not great. But I think the bar probably is a little lower because that group is like, oh, wow, look at this content's for me. And this is useful and interesting. Ideally, it's both. Ideally, it's incredibly insightful and interesting and a pretty niche focus.
0: Okay, hi, here. uh, It's me making the podcast, not me talking to Lenny. Just quick interruption, because at the very beginning of this episode, I told you that something Lenny said to me had prompted a big change in the way that I make my own newsletter. And you just heard it. It was this thought about hyper specificity and being so clear about who you are writing for so that people who receive this information can say, ah, this is for me. I started to think as we were talking, and and you hear me in this conversation have this, this kind of revelation a little bit, that my newsletter at the time, it was it was called Build for Tomorrow. And it was it was it was about how people can be excited about their future, but it was, it was abstract. It was, it was hard to explain. And as a result, it was it was harder to grow. And I thought about what Lenny was saying and how I needed to be more specific. Now, I don't have a particular specific area of expertise the way that he does with product, but my area of expertise, I realized, was in how people approach the personal side of work and how everyone wants to get better. And that's the space that I live in. That's what this show is, Problem Solvers. And so I, I thought for a while about how to rebrand the newsletter. And I came up with a concept. It's called One Thing Better. And what I say now is that each week, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine shares one way to improve your work to build a career or company you love. And uh, I launched it just after this conversation, <laughs> like, like a week or two. And I, I sent it to Lenny, and he thought it was great and subscribed. So thank you, Lenny. Anyway, that's uh, If you want to check it out, you can at jasonpfeiffer.com slash newsletter. That's now uh, One Thing Better, the newsletter. Thank you to Lenny. All right, let's keep going with the conversation. I bet that more revelations here are going to change
1: things that you do. Something I so I definitely realized I needed to be focused, and I think that's been really important, but you have to not narrow too much because for me, I focus mostly on product management and product building. But if that's all I wrote about I would just like, I would, it'd be so boring. And I found that I had, like, I wanted to focus, basically I focused on things that I'm excited about, product and growth, and then just career and startup stuff. But it's mm-hmm. kind of this like anchor tenant of product, building product, and then what's adjacent to that growth, growing the product, and then having a career in product and starting companies. So I kind of found this like Venn diagram of interests. And I find that it's important to have a, a kind of a slightly broader than just super focus, because you just get so bored just writing about the same thing again and again. But yeah, to your point, people need to know what problem you're solving. We talked about jobs to be done, like people need to think about, okay, I have this problem in building product. Who am I going to go? What am I going to look for? And the more you can just wedge in people's brain, oh, Lenny's newsletter is really good for helping me with product problems. I'm going to go check that out. That helps a lot. Mm. What was phase two? So phase one was like the first hundred users. And that was just me. Like I talked about just writing a couple things on Medium, getting Twitter, tweeting about it. Phase two was this first thousand users, which is the guest posts. I'd say that's how I mm-hmm. think about it got it the next so what yeah so what was phase three phase three is let's say get to get so that was about a thousand subscribers getting to ten thousand honestly was just every week for nine months just writing something useful that people found useful and so that was just it i got from a thousand to ten thousand just writing every week for nine months and it grew mostly through just all by itself it grew organically it was word of mouth and that's what i find this grows these things if it's good people just share it like i find if your stuff's not growing it's just not useful enough to people and people aren't excited to share it with their friends and colleagues so it's all word of mouth and then me tweeting every time i publish something i tweeted about it and tweet a little summary of the post something i've learned about twitter is you don't want to tweet like a tease of your post you want to just give away everything in the, in the tweet like in a tweet thread just like summarize the whole post on twitter and then link to the post at the end of the thread or towards the top so i did that just tweeting the post so that, that sounds
0: counterintuitive because you would think if you've given everything away on the platform, what is someone's incentive to click?
1: Right. So they, what I think happens, they follow you. They're like, oh, this guy's going to have interesting things. And then you share your post again and again. They're like, okay, let's go subscribe to this thing. So I think you think of it a little, you should think of it as a long-term investment. Just people will find Lenny has interesting things. I will follow all his things eventually versus like, oh, I need them to tease them to go click into this thing because people are, they're not going to click anything. They're just like, all right, whatever. It's a freaking tweet. I don't care. I'm going to move <laughs> on to the next tweet.
0: All right. So phase three then is defined by really the market speaking. You are putting out consistently good, relevant content, and you are seeing that people are sharing it organically. That tells you that you're on the right path and you get to 10,000 subscribers, which is great.
1: So what's phase four? So around then is when I started charging, I added a pay plan. And this was actually an interesting point where, so I left Airbnb, I had no job for about a year. Then also COVID hit and Airbnb was uh was in big trouble. I had a f- I kind of assumed that I would have some uh value out of my shares after I left Airbnb being there seven years. And so I took all this time off, assuming there'd be a payoff someday. Mm-hmm. But uh COVID, it, there was like a huge scare. Airbnb was on yeah, the brink of, I remember it. of problems. Yeah, they had to take this billion dollar loan and all kinds of stuff. So I was just like, shit, I need haven't had a job in a year. I don't really I want to try to avoid getting a job at a startup again. I, I want to see if I can do this newsletter thing. I called it my project, avoid getting a real job, the newsletter <laughs> path. And some like, okay, let me just see if I can charge for this thing and make a living doing this and maybe make a hundred thousand a year, maybe someday a little bit more. So I started charging around that time, around 10,000 subscribers and it just kept growing. I found that actually once I started charging growth accelerated because I think people huh. assume there is more value there that I'm like, oh, wow, this guy's charging for this. It must be good, even if it's free. So people subscribe to the free the newsletter at a higher rate as soon as I started charging, which surprised me. That is so interesting. Wait a second, let's break that down. So you put a paywall, and how much
0: of the content were you putting behind the paywall?
1: So I write a post every week. If you pay, you get it every week. If you don't pay, you get it once a month. So once every four issues is free. It goes to everyone. So that's
0: right. So that's a I mean, that's pretty significant. If you're just getting the free version, you're only getting something from you once a month. Once a month, that's that's not a lot. And you're finding that people once it's behind the paywall see it perceive it as being of more value and start subscribing to the paid version at a higher rate or the free version at a higher rate and then they convert from the
1: free yeah, version yeah the latter the, the free version and then what i do is when i share a when i publish a paid post i send a peek to the free list to continue reminding them of how much stuff there is that they're missing and there's definitely downsides to the adding a paywall because 75% of my stuff is hidden or most of it is hidden And so you have less chance to grow the thing. But I think these peaks where you peak like, hey, here's a thing you're missing really helps. And then just over time, like there's this analogy someone shared of just like you have these lakes and you have these rivers and the lake is the free users and the rivers you're getting them to be paid. And so you have this lake that you're building up and there's a lot of value in building up this lake where you have all these people you could pitch over time. And it's okay if you pitch them later, you know, they're there. They keep subscribing and you could always upsell them. Like, hey, you should really subscribe. You're missing out a lot of good stuff. So essentially every month I write some, I focus on writing something that a majority of people would find useful. And that often drives a lot of paid subscribers every time I publish one of those.
0: Were you ever nervous about either being so aggressive with the paywall or feeling like you had to increase the amount that you were producing because you were charging? I mean, $150 a month, a year, you're a year. writing once a week, a year, a year, a year. Sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, 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 yeah. sorry, not that crazy. $150 a year as would be a different deal, but still $150 a year. You know, I mean, that, that ain't nothing. It's not often that I'm paying. I mean, you could subscribe to entrepreneur magazine for considerably less. So you're, and you're producing only once a week. How did you figure out what the right price and value
1: prop was? Yeah, it was, it was hard. I did feel like i was crazy to charge more than Netflix for four emails a, a month. And so what I did is I looked at the pricing on Substack, looked at what everyone else was charging. The advice I always got is charge more than you think you should charge. Everyone was like, oh, five bucks a month. That sounds really reasonable. I'll just start, which is like the minimum I think Substack even allows. So I was pushing myself to charge more than I thought I should charge. And then just roughly I eyeballed what are similar newsletters charging. Still, I was like, this is crazy. Who's gonna pay $15 a month for writing for four emails? So what I did is when I launched, I pitched, if you subscribe, you'll get an invite to a exclusive community of newsletter subscribers where you can all chat and learn from each other. So I announced that, and I didn't actually have anything at that point, but about three months in, I launched it because I promised I would. And that actually ended up being incredibly successful. Maybe the thing I'm most proud of because it's just thriving community of really interesting, smart people that want to learn and get better. And they're just helping each other. And I'm not in the middle of that. I just get out of the way and let them help each other. And so that came out of just exactly what you said, it just felt like this is a lot of money to charge for a couple of emails or for four emails. And it ended up being a really good push for me to think a little bit bigger. So
0: that also feels counterintuitive, I have to say, because I would think and speak just about literally how I've thought about it. I've thought if people subscribe to my newsletter and they follow me on social and listen to a podcast or whatever, then the relationship is with me. And to the degree that I can create something special beyond the content that I produce, it's some kind of connection or access to me. The problem with that, of course, is that's not scalable in any way. And so the thing that I've always grappled with is how can I possibly make some scalable version of access to me? I don't have the answer, which is why I haven't launched anything. But what I'm really interested in what you've done is that you actually did the opposite. You took yourself out of it in a way. I mean, I'm sure that you engage in there in some way, but that's not the main selling point. It's not access to Lenny. And all the more amazing that you've done this because you, your entire ecosystem is your name. And yeah. this is not, a, you know, <laughs> this, is, this is Lenny's newsletter. So tell me about that.
1: Yeah. I think that comes from some imposter syndrome. And just like a modesty where I just know I don't have all the answers. There are many smarter people than I. The last thing I want is for people to feel like I'm going to have all the answers for them. And so it was just exactly like I I said with the community, I'm just like, there are such smart people reading this thing. I feel like if I could just connect them, they'll find each other and help each other. And like, I I didn't, I hate the idea that it's called Lenny's newsletter because I don't want to come across as like, I'm this beacon of answers. I actually tried to rename it for a while. I The only reason I called it this as I was just signing up for Substack with no plan of where it was going. And that was their default recommendation of what to call your newsletter. It's your first name in your newsletter. <laughs> That's amazing. And I couldn't think of anything better. And I'm just like, God damn, I need a real name for this thing. And now it's too late. And now I'm just leaning into it. But I'm very much just like, it. I'm super stuck with it. Like everything's now Lenny's blank. Right. I mean, you are gifted with a
0: name that is familiar, but feels a little quirky and friendly. So it's got like, I feel mm. like Jason's newsletter doesn't have the same ring to it. Like there's something about the name Lenny that I think helps. That's cool. Never thought about that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Or thanks to
1: presumably your parents, whoever selected Lenny, <laughs> unless it was you. Uh, uh, yeah. I moved from Russia. They gave me this name, but it, there's a variation. And I simplified it. Got it.
0: So, okay. Now we're describing, if I'm thinking about the phases, we're describing something that sounds pretty familiar to the newsletter that I see right now. What else, and I know we're, we're coming up on time here, so just what else are you doing at this point to drive growth aside from just produce great content and have created a community?
1: So I will say this, I think it's actually the best time in history to launch a newsletter because, and to grow a newsletter, and it's the easiest time to grow a newsletter because of this one feature that Substack launched recently that has been a huge game changer for me. And I think people are way underappreciating this. And it's this feature where you can recommend other newsletters within Substack. So when someone signs up for me, I recommend 10 other newsletters that I love that you can quickly subscribe to. You just check check checkboxes and you're subscribed. So with that, other newsletters recommend my newsletter. There's about a thousand other newsletters now that are recommending my newsletter when you sign up for their newsletter, which now leads to, and this is actually the next phase of my growth is now about 80% of my subscribers come from this one feature because I'm being recommended by other newsletters. And so if you write awesome things that people find valuable, newsletters will recommend you and it'll lead to this kind of trajectory I have this chart that I shared on Twitter, just like this rock hockey stick that just started as soon as they launched this feature. So I think that's a really, really important feature in the, in the trajectory of newsletters. And I think people should be more excited about it. Holy cow. That's really interesting. And also
0: you know, we it we emailed about this before recording this, that I'm not on Substack and therefore can't access that and, Frustrated hearing the success of it, but but I I wonder if and I just wonder if you have any insight here whether or not you've done this yourself about reaching people across ecosystems because the thing that the success of the Substack recommendation system tells me is that there is not a oversaturation of newsletter problems for people, but rather there's a discovery of newsletter problems for people. People are willing to subscribe to something new. The problem is that they didn't know what to subscribe to. And so they needed something from a trusted source to be put in front of them. Have you experimented with anything else with working with newsletter writers to trade promotions inside of their newsletters or any other way to kind of utilize the world of newsletters to try to reach audiences outside of your own?
1: Yeah, I've done it all. I've tried everything. Nothing does anything except consistency, quality solving problems for people, being creating value for whatever the problem they have. And then there's one feature that Substack has. Nothing else has made a dent. If you just look at the growth trajectory of my newsletter, and I, if you look for, I don't know if you Google Lenny on Twitter newsletter milestone, you'll probably find this chart. And there's like the straight line and the blips within the line, just like they're, they've come from these random experiments, but they don't matter in the scheme of things. It just all grows from Writing value to people, where they're just like you're solving a problem for them, these jobs to be done. I talked about And doing it again and again and again for years, and then and then there's one feature from Substack that just changes the game.
0: Hmm. Uh, Lenny, finally, I bet a lot of people who are listening are wondering, and you don't have to give me an exact answer, but well, how much money is he making off of this thing? So, just I mean, if you can share at least roughly, like yeah. what what percentage of your 325 thousand and counting followers are actually paying you?
1: I make significantly more than i made at airbnb as a senior product manager stock included like significantly Mm -hmm. more i'm not going to share the percentage because then people can work backwards and figure out the number right and i feel like when yeah i feel like when i was inviting a ballpark but yeah yeah yeah. it's it's a wild number that i never imagined i could make from just writing a newsletter and then the podcast Mm -hmm. built on top of that so it's pretty bonkers uh highly suggest exploring this path if you're if you're interested there are downsides though no PTO, no 401k matching, no time off, no parental leave, none of that. But it's pretty sweet. Lenny, this is awesome. Congratulations and
0: thanks for walking us through it. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. That's all for this week. But hey, let's keep the conversation going. I write a newsletter called One Thing Better, where every week I give you one way to improve your work and build a career or company you love. You can subscribe for free at com slash newsletter jasonpfeiffer.com slash newsletter. And if you do, you should definitely reply and say hello. I promise I'll get back to you. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning. So make sure you're subscribed so you do not miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.